and welcome to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. Morning and welcome to Emma Taylor. Morning, Emma. Morning. It's lovely um, to be here on a Friday morning. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a funny old Friday, isn't it, really? But hey-ho, we are where we are. Um, I think we are pretty much live now on the Dream It, Do It, Love It lounge. Um, so, um, Emma, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your fabulous stallion, um, Sparky. So, um, Sparky is, <laughs> is his stable name. So he's a Spanish stallion. So he's a PRE, which is a, I'm probably going to say this wrong, Pure Raza Espanol. Um, and his proper name is Novato Salvatella. So you can kind of understand why we call him Sparky. It's just a lot easier. Um, Sparky's been with me since September 2018. So we're quite a new partnership. Um, and it's been, although I have known him for, I think it's, I mean, we worked out eight years because I'd actually um, competed with my other horse. I had seen him out and about, got chatting to his mum, Lynn McLeod, and kind of just fallen in love with him really so slightly stalked him for about eight years at different shows um and then through various things that happen in life as they do I had the opportunity through the summer of um 2018 to share him for a couple of months and ride him and he's one of those horses that you kind of when you see when people see his picture then he really does look like a fairy tale unicorn it's not just me being biased he actually does look like that when you sit on him, he's one of these horses that you just feel completely connected to. And I think the minute I sat on him, I was like, wow, okay, this is a special horse. Um, and we were lucky enough to, to have him join us in, yeah, in September 2018. Oh, and he is beautiful. He definitely is the epitome of a real life unicorn. There is absolutely no doubt about it. He's so gorgeous. <laughs> And so we're going to be talking today, um, Emma, about a little bit about Iberian horses and what makes them so special. We're going to be talking as well about something called working equitation, which I can't say I'd really, I'd sort of sort of heard about it. But since I've had yourself and I think Cassie Gadsby as well, isn't it? She's involved in it. Yeah. Um, on the team, because obviously Emma is a Flying Changes Coaching Ambassador. Um, so um, and I, I think the only way I was able to really describe it is sort of... Um, handy pony with poles so we're going to find out a little bit more about what it really is because I'm probably going to have upset a few people in the working equitation world by describing it as that but hey ho um so you're going to tell us more about that also we're going to be talking a little bit today about something that I love um that sadly I haven't been able to do as much over the years as I'd have loved to but you do it all the time Emma which is equine assisted leadership um and leading through uncertainty which is really key right now um so you've been getting ready for this time for i don't know what the last seven years or something now i think haven't you yeah and then we're also going to be talking about your mindset and things like that um imposter syndrome goals all sorts of fabulous stuff so if any of you've got any questions please do put them into the question box and i'll be monitoring that 
Um, so please ask any questions on any of these like amazingly different topics to the kind of things we normally talk about. This is, I took Emma on as an ambassador because she's massively passionate, which makes a huge difference. And she does something that's really different that just is absolutely wonderful to learn about and be a part of and to know a little bit about a, a really, for me, completely different part of the horsey world to the normal kind of, you know, showing, jumping, dressage, eventing kind of stuff. So perhaps um, let's start a little bit by telling us what, what is this working equitation thing then, Emma? I love, I do, I love your description. Um, so <laughs> we are, and I apologise to kind of working equitation aficionados, I'm going to give you my version of it. So um, we're quite new to it. Sparky um, with Lynn, his previous mum, had competed actually at advanced international level. Um, and essentially in the UK, there are sort of, when we run the, the regional competitions, which are one day, and then the national competitions, which are usually spread over two days, there are three main phases. And the kind of overall, it's different to showing or dressage or jumping, but I would say it encompasses a lot of the same sets of skills, actually. So working equitation, they describe it as being the ultimate outcome of the horse as a working animal. So the sport, my understanding, it was sort of founded around um, and has its roots in sort of farming and, and herding. So the first phase of working equitation is a dressage test. And much like you would really with um, BD tests, they run up through the different levels. Um, they, there is a, an intro, which is a walk and trot. There's a novice, uh, an inter A, an inter B, and an advanced, I think. Um, so we are very much at the novice level. Um, you have your second phase, which is called your ease of handling. And that's, I guess, where you're talking, you're probably saying, oh, it's a bit like handy pony. So when people see it, um, what they would see is a set of obstacles in an arena. Um, and essentially what you're doing is there is a course that you're following a course around each obstacle. Each obstacle is marked out of 10. So um, in the ease of handling, what they're looking for, it's really about partnership between you and the horse. So how well are you approaching the obstacle? How in rhythm are you? And there's obviously certain, there's a lot of criteria. So different obstacles you might see, for example, at a novice level, which is where most people come in at, you might see a pole on the ground, which you go over sideways you might see um, what essentially look like bending poles that you can walk, trot or canter through. Um, we often have a bridge, we usually have a bridge which you walk over. Uh, there's a jug obstacle, there's, uh, there's always a small jump. Now, I mean, I'm not a jumper, but, <laughs> and if any of you see Sparky jump, you'll understand why I don't jump Sparky because he's, he has a style called the Superman, which involves doing this over everything. It's quite comfortable, but it's not actually particularly stylish. Um, so yeah, so you tend to have about, I would say around 12 obstacles in ease of handling. The third phase, which is probably the one, if you've seen any YouTube clips, you've probably seen the speed round. So um, you don't get marked on individual obstacles, you get marked on your overall time. So you need to complete all of the obstacles as you should. Um, but obviously you then get ranked, you know, first to last, depending on what your speed is. Um, through those two phases, it's possible to get eliminated as well. And we know we all do all the time, so it's fine. 
and I would say it's if you want to have a look how there is um the association of British working equitation is a place to go so there's a Facebook group there's a website uh, and in the last few years it's really developed as a sport so it's very much a case of it doesn't matter what horse you've got it doesn't matter what level you're at there are much more many more and I know Cassie's the trainer as well Cassie Gadsby many more trainers coaches clinics running so there's a real opportunity to get involved with it um one of the things I really love about it is it's got a completely different team feeling so I'm I do do a little bit of dressage um and I did some at the end of last year but when you go out to a dressage competition I always felt quite it you do feel quite insular you feel as it there can be quite a judgmental attitude, especially if you turn up on a Spanish stallion in, in a sea of warm bloods. You can see people looking at you going. Um, working equitation it is very much very inclusive. So you come in, people are very, they want to help you, they want to support you, they want you to learn. Um, and I think that's great. And I think that actually that's something a lot of equestrian sports can learn from working equitation. And I, do you know what I love about it is when I started hearing about it from your, from yourself and from Cassie and, and other people, um, is that I thought I might have to take my big grey Irish sports horse and like disguise him as an Iberian somehow in order to try and do this. Um, so I was like planning on growing his mane and like doing, you know, some kind of special plait that I'm sure Cassie would teach me how to do something and, and, and see if I could sneak him in under the radar. Um, but then actually when I, when you started telling me more and said, oh, actually, it's, it's actually open to any kind of horse, any kind of combination. Um, that sounds fantastic because that's like combination of loads of really great stuff that you can do with your horse. It is. And all... The, the groundwork skills are directly transferable from a lot of other sports as well. So um, I think it it's it's one of these things, if you watch the YouTube videos, and I would say to you, if people want to watch any, go on to, um, so Lynn McLeod has lots of fantastic ones, and Holly Barber does as well, who's our British, top British international rider. When you see them do it, it looks effortless, as with all things when they're done well. I guarantee you, when I first had a go, it did not look like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, it, like all good things, it looks easy when done well. Yeah. And actually, we've got a couple of comments here, which are really nice. Um, one is from Nikki. Um, some of you might have seen Nikki's um, fantastic Q&A the other day talking about rehab and things. And she says... Fred and I loved it when we had a go and Cassie uses exercises for W-E, our working equitation, obviously, for us to practice our dressage movements. Yeah. And I love all of you in the Iberian world because you're so passionate about your horses. And, and that's true, actually. That's something I've noticed. I've been privileged enough to be able to um, spend a bit of time at the Iberian um I'm not sure what, sure, sure what the name of the show is at Marist Wood they do every year. It's like a big... Very important show. That's it, yeah. And it's just it's such a nice atmosphere. And apart from anything else, you know, actually, loads of you guys were like riding around drinking wine. I mean, that was actually a class. That was fantastic. So when, how do we get to do that? How do we get to, to ride around drinking Prosecco? I mean, that was like seriously a thing. <laughs> that, oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, that is, really is a thing. So... <laughs> um so there is it's it's called a parade class and it's certainly the highlight of any of the iberian shows that i go to it's um 
it's meant to be essentially that you are parading and you're but it's more than that it's about recreating the spirit um of might be Golga in Portugal or it might be one of the Fieras in Spain but it's actually it's lovely it very much feels like a community coming together they tend to quite sensibly have it late because they give us a drink um <laughs> so we offer we offer it's really lovely so you, you have the opportunity to dress up in traditional Spanish or Portuguese kit you all ride around together so the the, the show that you were mentioning which is run by Shireen and Leila Ramatala, which is probably, it's probably my favourite show actually. Um, we, we have over 30 in the parade class last year. So if you can imagine 30 people basically riding an open order doing, I mean anything. Um, it can be, the first one I rode in was a little bit overwhelming. And actually, but the nice thing is, if you're nervous, you can just say to someone, oh, will you just ride with me? So you can ride on your own, you can ride in a pair or a group and you're chatting and it's, I think it's really special. It, yeah, I mean, there are, in some of them, there are placings and some of them there aren't, and it's actually just about enjoying it. But yeah, one, one of the highlights, definitely the uh, little tray of port um, that, or sherry that comes out. Fantastic. And I know a lot of people that like hunting also enjoy the tray of port and sherry. So it's here's another way of enjoying those things throughout the summer, perhaps, if that's something you like to do. <laughs> OK, so um, Nadia has said here, you've got to love a foreign breed show for a parade class and a champagne challenge. Nadia is actually with us live on the, in fact, next Tuesday at 4pm, Tuesday the 7th of April, because she's got um, Arabs and she likes to show those. So she gets to go to the foreign breed classes for that. Um, Krista said, sign me up for that. I think you're going to get lots of, um, do you have to be on an Iberian horse? Because, you know, like, there's going to be a ton of imposters of warm bloods and Irishes just sneaking in there here. Well, I think we create our own. I think we create our own. And actually, um, thank you, Nadia, because you just reminded me of another showing class with drinks, which is the champagne class. <laughs> so that's um, one that I've, I've seen at foreign breed shows and is, I've not done this yet, um, but Lynn did this on Sparky actually. So they give you a glass, you hope, of real champagne. It's usually Prosecco. And you ride around one-handed and the judge will ask you to walk the trot, counter turn, perform some movements. And essentially it's the person who has the most drink left in the glass. And you, you usually win a bottle of very nice champagne. So this, is, this this sounds fantastic fun i mean look you know like working equitation sounds great fun if you want to do a bit of something with your horse then there's classes where you are given a drink like you know and then there's ones where you ride around yeah there was the champagne challenge at one point wasn't there did you see that on facebook where you had to ride around with a, a, a champagne glass or whatever it was or gin or cup of tea i think it started with a cup of tea and quickly deteriorated didn't it yeah that um i know jake tarrant of little bentley eventing who's also on our team um he had great fun doing that so uh, it sounds a bit like that then very similar very similar cool okay so another question that's come in before i forget to ask here tatty who's also on our team hi tatty the whole team are out today for you emma she wants to know um tips for keeping your horse so white <laughs> yeah please can you tell me those as well <laughs> don't, tatty don't zoom in in any of the pictures because he's not that white um well i okay there are some products that i use i absolutely love grooming and plaiting and doing all washing that i probably like that just as much as anything else so I'm quite lucky actually because Sparky's got what looks like a pearlescent shine. So actually, even when he's quite dirty, he looks white. 
Um, I use loads of the purple, the purple shampoo, and I'm just, I think it's the Whirl brand that I use. Um, Cowboy Magic Stain Remover, absolute lifesaver because I think all grey horses do like to lie in quite a lot of poo. Uh, and I would say just wash regularly, don't leave it till just before the competition. I tend to wash sort of mane and tail, well, probably tail actually, not necessarily mane, um, once a week. Um, but yeah, I'm quite lucky. He is a little bit pearly and shiny, just like I say, don't zoom, zoom in on the photos. Well, that's really unfair. So those of us with grey horses that aren't pearly and shiny are yet to go <laughs> right. right now. So there you go. You get to ride with champagne on a clean horse. And then there's the rest of us that have poo monsters. But, you know, hey-ho, that's how life is, isn't it? <laughs> I'll help you groom. I like the grooming, though. Oh, uh, right. That's it. You're employed. You're, that's it. You're coming. <laughs> if we ever get out again, or when, really, let's face it, we will get out again. OK, cool. So that sort of working equitation and the Iberian world, it sounds fabulous. What would you, um, we'll put some links in the comments and things as well for people. Um, but what would you recommend then if someone thinks, oh, I love the sound of this. I don't have a Spanish horse or an Iberian horse or a pre or any of those kind of I know the umbrella. Iberian's the umbrella for Spanish yeah. and Lusitano, isn't it? So what, um, what would you say to anyone who doesn't have one of those who's got bob the cob but says do you know what this sounds fantastic how do i get involved in it somehow where would they go and look to maybe get started so for the working equitation it would be the british association of working equitation so um on there you've got all of the clinics you've got all the instructors by area as well um i would say to anybody if you're having any problems please feel free to contact me directly and i can point you in the direction of people um, they're always wanting people to organise clinics. I mean, I, so I, have, I actually do have Holly Barber come over to me. Um, I'd also say look online, have a look and see some of the different exercises. Um, and I think, and actually, if you look at Cassie's, one of Cassie's pages, I think she's done some where she's actually breaking down the exercises so you can start to work through them on your own at home. Um, and I, Iberian world I would say um, come along so I'm a really big kind of ambassador for kind of being kind and being nice as a human being and I always say to people oh just come just um, if you're coming and you don't know anyone give me a bell I'll meet you I'll introduce you to some people um, I think as a world and as a kind of a horsey community they're actually very friendly so I would say you know just ask us and come along and see things and get involved. Yeah, and I would agree with that, actually. The the times that I've been privileged enough to be at anything where the Iberian community are there, you are, you're a great lot. I mean, you know, it's, it's great. Everyone is genuinely welcoming, um, you know, and I've never had an Iberian horse, but people are so welcoming to tell you about stuff, share things, chat with you you know it's it is it's a lovely it really is a lovely community so if anyone's ever thinking of what their next horse might be um then maybe an iberian is something to consider because what would you say about the sort of the the breed i mean i know iberian isn't a breed is it but what would you say about that kind of umbrella generally about the type of horses and and why you love them so much and why so many people do actually do you know what they're really comfy so <laughs> um i've had <laughs> I know that I meant to say something way smarter than that, but they are really comfy. So they're very, generally speaking, they're very smooth. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid forties now. And I think that 
I would struggle now to to sit and to ride and I've got got some quite significant um, physical challenges as well to be able to ride a warm blood or a lot of other types of horses now. Um, so I think that that's a big consideration. They are very loyal horses. They are very bright um, and they really want to have one or two people that they can really connect and bond with. Um, they absolutely try their hardest for you always, which I absolutely love. Um, yeah, I mean, we, I think I got interested, we saw a display at Olympia and it's probably, I would say maybe 15, 16 years ago of the Portuguese School of Equitation, Portuguese School of Equestrian Arts, sorry. Um, and I think I was just struck by the relationship actually between that, you know, they're not competitive. It's actually about how do I develop a lifelong partnership with my horse in a sustainable way and I think that's what really got me drawn towards okay I'm really curious about these horses and it can be difficult fortunately there are there's probably more Spanish horses um, than there are Lusitanos at the moment um, but there are certainly lots of us who you can reach out to and you know I'm always like come and have a sit because <laughs> I think you kind of have a sit and then you're like oh, I don't really want to get off <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been offered rides on them before and, and I haven't, for whatever reason, been able to take it. But I have to say, I have thought to myself, oh, I know what's going to happen. This is going to be dangerous. <laughs> oh, I'm going to so end up with what I know I am. <laughs> well, I'm getting used to the big grey thing. So quite frankly, the next step will be probably something like that, I think, really, you know, take it in steps. One question that someone actually has asked, which is a really interesting one, is are there any ex-race horses on the working equitation circuit? Because that sounds like something fab they could be part of, doesn't it? Do you know what I think? I think that so what I'm doing is racking my brains. Not not that I know of currently, but I think that is an excellent idea. So I do know there are lots of different breeds on there, lots of different breeds. And I actually think for and you know I don't know a lot about X-ray horses, but I think for horses that are bright and need a job, working equitation is perfect because um, they have to switch their brains on to do it. Um, I mean, Sparky is a very, um, he's really gentle kind horse to ride. He, you go into the arena with the obstacles and he's like, right, right, ready to go. Ba -da, ba -da, ba -da. Um, you can feel here, you can feel a mental switch. So I think I, that sounds like an excellent idea to try, definitely. Cool. Maybe we can get in touch with ROR and see if there's something that they can start collaborating with on there. Um, anyone who's involved in that, maybe you want to yeah, yeah. get in touch. That'd be great, wouldn't it? We love a bit of collaboration, don't we? Really good. So I think that's kind of covered everything around working equitation, Iberian horses, um, you know, getting people into it and just kind of getting people understanding what it is. But I would say as well, like go and watch the classes like when we can, but go and watch them online as well, because they're just fascinating, aren't they? They just are lovely to watch. They really, And the people that are really good at it, it's like watching Charlotte do dressage, isn't it? It's like it's just effortless, isn't it? And to watch them doing these things, I'm like... You're doing all that and you're holding a pole. Like, I just can't get my head around it. It's crazy. Exactly. <laughs> and some of the guys that do it, they're these big burly guys, aren't they? But they're so light and so gentle and wow. I mean, it's just poetry, isn't it? And it is, it's about the, the partnership, isn't it? With the horse and things like that and that connection. 
which brings us nicely on to the next bit that I wanted to speak to you about, which is all about um, the work that you do around equine assisted um, leadership development and, and, you know, the thing that you've always said about leading through uncertainty. Tell us a bit about that, Emma, and, and how, how on earth you got into that. So you get into some very interesting things, don't you? <laughs> um gosh so i had a corporate career within hr and learning and development for a number of years and i re i genuinely loved what i did um for a very long time but i kept something kept niggling at me actually that as part of what we were doing in terms of developing people within organizations there was there seemed to be a gap and the gap was we would traditionally be sending people on some kind of leadership development, management development, team development work uh, with great expectations about what that would bring, mean for them individually, for their personal development, and also what it would mean for, for the organisation. And the reality was they were coming back from them and somewhere the learning wasn't transferring. And I think for a long, long time, I kept thinking, what are we missing? What are we missing? Um, and I, I kind of had that, that moment where I thought, well, my biggest teachers have actually been the horses. So there is something here. Google is a wonderful thing. So I just Googled kind of like equine leadership stuff, thinking, well, this, you know, I don't even know if this exists. It did. Um, so I trained in a methodology um, called the European Association of Horse Assisted um, learning so we they are the only body in the UK that actually specifically work for leadership at leadership so I'll, I'll make it really easy because it's two different fields so lots of people work within um, what is termed the equine assisted field and broadly speaking it's split into what I would loosely call the therapeutic or learning side of things and then the leadership side so the therapy and learning is is more around psychology um, and kind of, I would say, is, is very, very different. The leadership is purely so all my background means that I can do the leadership stuff. I have no and, and there is a crossover in the work. There is often a crossover. And I think you have to be really um, have high levels of integrity and knowledge to know when uh, if you're working within the leadership side, actually, this is becoming more of a therapeutic conversation. So how do, how do we manage that? And how do we ensure somebody's got that support? So I went off, trained, you know, and often you go when you train, you think, right, okay, business. Well, you have to start that business. <laughs> it doesn't, the certificate doesn't give you the income. Um, so I started seven years ago. And I would say certainly the first three years of that were incredible, four years, probably were incredibly hard work. When you say to somebody, I'm a plumber or I'm, I'm an electrician, people know what you do. When they say, I do equine guided leadership development, you, it's actually quite good because you get a polar response. You either get a, well, that's rubbish. And you go, okay, not my client. Nice to meet you. Or you get, um, oh, I'm, I'm really interested. Tell me a bit more about that. Um, and I think it's really the foundations of building a solid business. So I was quite lucky in the sense that I applied for and was taken on by the Aspen Business School High Growth Programme. So that was a six month programme that teaches you essentially how to build and scale a business. Um, so there was a quite a well known um, 
business program called the, the Goldman Sachs program, which you have to, I think, have over, turn over a million, which to be on it, which clearly, yeah, was going to cut out quite a lot of us. So Aston Business School actually took that model and made it much more scalable for startups, entrepreneurs and SMEs. So I was uh, the second cohort to go through that program. So that gave me a really kind of stable block on because you can't just have the skills, you have to know how to run the business. One of the things that really, I think for me, uh, was important is that this work has a global reach and a global impact. So one of my targets and goals right from the beginning was this isn't just limited to work in the UK, it's international. And, you know, people, but how can you do that? How can you do it if you haven't got horses? How can you do da 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 da? Well, one of the things I did kind of nearly three years ago now was change my business model from having a premises with horses to saying, actually, I'm going to work from centres. Um, it gave me a lot more agility as a business. It means that I have much lower running costs, which in times like this are absolutely crucial. Um, there is something as well about when, when you, obviously there's a huge amount of health and safety, there's a huge amount of qualifying when we're working with clients and we're working with different horses, there's a whole process around ensuring that they are, their welfare is number one. It's that simple. Um, and people will say, oh, well, I will actually usually say it because workshop, well, I haven't actually worked with these horses before. So they're going to mirror my leadership. So I'm going to be as open and vulnerable as you. And there is a, that takes away the automatic bias of people saying, well, of course, that horse is going to do that because it knows you. And I'm like, do you know what? No. Um, so that for me was a, a big kind of transformational shift, actually, in, in how we run the business. It's also enabled me to do a lot more international work, which <clears throat> I love. Um, I hate flying, absolutely hate flying. So when, you know, one of my things was like, I want to do more international and oh, that means more time on planes. Okay. Um, yeah, we're getting around it. So yeah, I think, and I think the leading through uncertainty is it's what we do all the time. So to tell you a bit more about the work, basically the horses mirror your nonverbal communication which depending on your school of thought or which research you look at is well over 70% of your communication. So it's not necessarily what I'm saying. It's, and it's not body language either. It's more than that. It's intent, it's um, connection, it's heart. It's how you make people feel. So one of the first things we do when we're working with clients is we're looking at personal leadership. So what is the impact that you create in the world, in different situations? How does that show up? Does that serve you? Does that serve the people around you? Um, and of course, and I say to clients all the time, this is the first time you are gonna get feedback when no one cares what your job title is, no one cares what you're wearing, they don't care who you are in the organization. They don't. So this is real, this is absolute, <laughs> this is real feedback. And I think for some people that's why it is called what it's called accelerated learning because it the transformation is very quick it's also incredibly vulnerable you know and to create an environment and what we call a safe facilitation space for that to happen it's it's really important um and that's why you know as part of what i do is continual ongoing development for me just making sure that i'm leaning into a mentor group that i'm doing what i need to do and I can kind of balance all of that as well. 
So yeah, I think it's the non-judgmental feedback and the unconscious bias just show up all the time. And those are skills that right now, we've always needed them, but right now they are even more to the forefront. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting times, really interesting times. So tell us a bit more then about this concept of leading through uncertainty, because like you say, now more than ever, that is really key. If you were to sort of give us some of your knowledge or your wisdom around the, the things that you find come up when you're talking about that topic of leading through uncertainty. Tell us a little bit more about that. I think the thing that always comes up is control. So <laughs> I have to control it in order to predict it. And it's genuinely a shock for most people that actually a lot of things are uncontrollable. Um, I think I'm still, I'm still always quite slightly surprised that people don't get that a lot of stuff is not within their control. And certainly within a, in an organizational context as well, there are some things you cannot predict. When people are working with people, we are not, we are not predictable. Um, so I think that's that as what I call an illusion and how to let go of the parts of the things that you really can't control. And I know, I know when I've worked with you, this links directly to control the controllables in mindset. It's, it's an absolute parallel. Um, those things that, so people say, well, I, I have to be able to control what the budget is. I have to be able to control what my client does. I have to, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I, I hear that you need that control. And I'm more curious about what does that mean for you? What would mean if you let go of the idea of control, what could you replace it with? Might it be curiosity? How can I work better with that? particular client supplier whatever that is um, and I think to leadership as a as a word it's it's a huge obviously it's a huge huge topic and there's a lot of different types uh, and subtypes of leadership and I think the leadership resources work is so powerful because it allows you to develop your own style of leadership you know, when we've read the kind of management texts over the last 25, 30 years, it's like, right, this style works, that style works. And I'm like, but it doesn't, because now more than ever, times change so quickly. What we actually need is agility. We need vulnerability. So we need to be able to say, I'm in struggle right now. I don't know how to do this. Can We need to be able to reach out. We need to be able to ask people. We need to manage our own emotions. And I will use the word resilient, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna caveat how I use it. So when the terminology resilient came out a while ago, I was, I was very resistant to it because it had been used to me in the be more resilient, which actually meant do more. And I was like, mm, I don't think it means that. To me, when I say develop your resilience, that actually means develop the things that help you do your best thing. Um, so yeah, resilience is definitely a key skill. And I think what the horses do is when you're with them, because that feedback is just there, they either come with you or they don't. There's no, they're a lot less polite than people. You know, your team might come with you or you might lead a conversation and you've got passive aggression or you've got a bit, oh, I don't really want to do it. And the disengagement's there, but actually what the horses do is that shows up right there. So you have to fine tune all of your leadership skills very much so. 
oh, it's fascinating. I could talk to you for hours about this. And and people are finding this really, really interesting as well, just so that you know. Okay. Um, which is good. You know, the feedback's fantastic um, from people about this. I'll read you some of the comments in a minute. But um, one of the things that you talked about there is resilience. And one of the little conversations we were having before we started this was actually why we as a horse community, as riders, as as people in the horse community, actually, we are pretty resilient, aren't we? Like, we're actually fairly well skilled up from a um, an internal resources rather than physical skills necessarily to be dealing with it. So just share your thoughts on that, Emma, because we had a great conversation about that earlier on, didn't we, about why you think that's the case? I, um, well, you know, I think <laughs> the equestrian community, we are, our very nature is by what we're engaging with, with the horses, with whether we ride, compete or don't, or look after horses in any way, shape or form, we are highly resilient and highly adaptable because we have to be. So we, we might plan what our competition season looks like. We have no idea whether that's actually going to happen because things happen to horses, things happen to us. Your transport breaks down. We are, we are, we are leading through uncertainty all the time. We are having to be agile. We are having to adapt. Okay, so, right, I can't do that competition. Maybe I need to qualify for X more things. What, we can immediately think, themes you've been talking about earlier in the week, we can pivot immediately away. We can just go, right, okay, next thing. And it's those, those skills that we have as equestrians. And I think we might not recognize them as skills because they may just be things we think we do, but actually they're, hu they're the most fantastic set of leadership skills that we can bring into other parts of our lives, especially in situations like, like we are now. Yeah. And and it's being able to see everything within us as transferable, isn't it? So, so many people want to put that skill in that box, that skill in that box, that skill in that box. But it's not. It's it's internal resources, so internal being like what we have within us and resources being things we can call upon. Um, and we find this don't we, with mindset coaching. I certainly find this with mindset coaching. You probably do with your leadership things as well, is that someone will come to me for um, mindset performance coaching because they care about their competition performance and things like that. And actually what we're looking at is their general patterns that they use everywhere. Yeah, they use them everywhere in life. They just they're just now popping out in a way that affects them, that they actually care about. So they want to do something about it. Um, and being able to see that stuff isn't in boxes. You might behave differently around horses to how you do at work or something, but we can borrow that stuff and we can bring it across. And that's the really cool part about you working with horses with the leaders and things, isn't it? It's not that they need to in any way work with horses. In fact, it's so much better if they don't, isn't it? Because they haven't got that preconception. <laughs> I mean, I know when I first started doing anything to do with equine assisted coaching and I was trying to work with horses, yeah. uh, riders and their own horses, um, I had to actually stop doing it because actually what was happening is they go, well, they'd always, they always do that. That's got nothing to do with me. That's my horse. And it actually wasn't helpful. So that's why I stopped that practice and just went, you know what? We actually need to remove the horse from the situation. Um, so, but making people realize that you might have something in work that you can borrow in your riding and vice versa and and help you helping those leaders understand that it doesn't matter this this horse right here right now is a mirror a metaphor it's just something that's going to show some things to you in a learning way that's that's the beauty of it isn't it it's, it's awesome it really is and i think one of the you know people say to me what are what are the skills that you take away from um this type of work and it's an interesting one because I, 
if I say to them, well, purely based on feedback, I can tell you the one thing you're all going to come away with. But if I tell you this, you're not going to, you won't believe it, is self-confidence. Without, and people go, oh, I am self-confident. I'm saying, no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that you're not. What I'm saying is a deeper level of understanding. One of the things we do is we talk about an exercise called head, heart, gut, which is when you, and I know you do similar type of thing, when you, you integrate your brain, your heart and your emotion, your, your gut feeling. And actually that's a really powerful, resourceful place to make decisions from. Um, and compassion, compassion and courage are the two big things that come out. Um, people are able to show around horses. And when I talk about vulnerability, they're actually able to show how compassionate, how caring they are because you created that space. And actually that's the thing that organizations need right now. And I don't know, you know, when we're looking at social media, you're looking at how businesses are, how are they behaving in this current climate? So who are the businesses that are looking after their people? Who are doing things? Because when we come out the end of this, those businesses are gonna to have to attract people. So there's, and I know one of the things Katie was talking about yesterday was about reputation. That's huge at the moment. What do leaders do to create a reputation for after this? And this is where we have to be thinking longer term. We can't just be thinking panic now. We have to go, okay, how do we create something sustainable, compassionate, and engaging really. Yeah, I think that's so key, isn't it? And actually, do you know, I've had so many conversations with people at the moment who are working for corporates and those corporates have tried to force them into offices to work or something, or they haven't, they're global. So they haven't had, you don't necessarily listen to the UK government thing. They have to look at the different areas of the world. And they've turned around and said, you know what, I'm, I'm out. Like when this is over, I'm going because I'm just, I'm so not impressed with the way that they have handled this. I am not a number, I am a human. And this was the chance and the opportunity where they genuinely have a great excuse to treat us as humans and they haven't done that. So it's not for me, thanks. And I, you know, I mean, this is what I found. The reason that I left my corporate job, very similar to you, we have very similar stories, you and I, um, was, because actually I was burning out and there was no compassion. I, I was just a worker, even though I was in a global job and I thought, you know, I'd hit the top of my game and this, that and the other. It, it just didn't feel that way to me. And, and that head, heart, gut thing, you're entirely right. It was the gut was not matching the heart and it certainly wasn't matching the head. So in my head, I could do it in my heart. I knew I could do it, but my gut was just going, this is just all wrong. It's just all wrong. You know, it's not right for you. And taking that leap to set something up for yourself. I, I totally get what you were saying about that first few years as well. <laughs> like, oh my word, that is. And oh. yeah, but having the right support around you and having mentors and businesses, which is what Katie was talking about yesterday, getting business coaches, mentors, you know, getting people on side that can help you shortcut some of that stuff makes all the difference, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. So some comments that have come through are, this sounds amazing. That was in regards to equine assisted learning and leadership and things. Um, Lauren said, I, this is so interesting. I definitely like my team to do this. So there's some potential opportunities to follow up with there. Please do get in touch with Emma Lauren. Ali, my very good friend has said, this is fascinating. Um, it's so true. Um, and then Krista, I think we all need to learn like that. Compassion is a good thing and not a weakness. And that's so true, isn't it? What are your thoughts on that? Because obviously when you're working with corporates and big business and, and even small ones, you know, um, the idea of feelings and compassion is like it very much used to be like there's no room for that in the workplace. And, you know, especially when we're talking with horses who do just instantly evoke emotion, whether that's fear, intrepidation, anxiety, love, compassion, people just want to be with them, don't want to be with them. You know, as soon as you put one there, you trigger every emotion that's possible in a human, don't you? 
Um, how do you find that from, you know, corporates where traditionally like, mm, no emotion, that's not part of it here. What, what have you found about that over the years? Gosh, um, <laughs> so I kind of think it's one of the, the, I guess, big business lessons is around knowing who's your client and knowing who's not. And that for me was a really big thing. So I, when I initially started, I was like, this is amazing. This is amazing. And, and I still feel that. But there was a high at a high rejection level. So people are, oh, I don't want to, that sounds rubbish, sounds rubbish. And over time, I began kind of realizing that actually they're self-filtering. So that the if you look at the way, um, I've forgotten the name, there is a curve. But basically, um, there's a section of business who are early adopters. So these are usually people that, or and businesses, and they are, they are big businesses who ahead of it becoming a mass trend will be the ones who are likely to recognize what it is that business needs. So emotional intelligence and those things have been on the radar for a while. Um, experiential learning, which this is, has been on the radar for a while. Um, so I think that the, the foundation is there Typically, what helps me a lot is because I've got the corporate background in HR and, and L&D. So I can talk and I have a real lived experience of that and what it feels like. So to me, that's a really integral part of why I'm able to, to stand in the shoes of or, and hold them compassionately. Um, because, you know, it, it, it depends. You know, my, my stakeholders might be an L&D team, it might be an HR team, it might be a CEO, it might be a manager who's bringing their team. Um, they have to feel really safe with me. They have to feel that I'm going to be honest with them. I'm never going to shame them or make them feel small, but I will hold, you know, I will hold compassionately whatever comes up. And really important point to add, I never work on my own. This work is so is so transformational that I would always at least work with one other person plus horse handlers. Or if we're working with big numbers, we have big teams of people. So I think companies are, com are coming around to this. They are seeing a shift in what we want from work. They are seeing people shift their lives around to say, what are my values now? What actually means more to me? So I think, you know, it's been, it's, like I say, it's been a growing conversation in emotional intelligence, experiential learning. And I think the other thing that I guess helps me is that because it's accelerated learning, it's really quick. So rather than spend six months going through classroom training, we can make significant shifts within two days. And, and that has a huge cost benefit to the business. Um, and we've got clients that will reference the, that all of this works. Um, so I think I think there's lots of things which which make it appealing. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. No. It's 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 fabulous. Obviously, I love it. Um, so the other piece you mentioned there was about people um, evaluating their values. Um, and I do a lot of work with this with people because obviously values are what drive your behaviors, your values and your beliefs are what drive your behaviors. And a lot of people have never even heard of the idea of values. And we're not going to go into that so much today because we'll be on the call now for another two hours if we do that because it's such a <laughs> fabulous topic, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 
But I just want to touch a little bit on the fact that now is a great time for people to be really thinking about their values and evaluating what is really, really important to them right now because they have to have they've had so much taken away. Yeah. That, that now is the perfect time, isn't it, to to evaluate that. Um, and um, what what would be your thoughts at the moment on, you know, because we've both been through this, haven't we? We've both sat down years ago and thought, whatever this is right now is not working for me. It yeah. undoubtedly would have been a values clash somewhere. We weren't fulfilling our highest values. We weren't doing what was really important to us. And I don't mean playing with ponies, which is what I was told I was doing when I first left, you know, or you've left your real job to go and play with ponies. I think you've got the same probably yeah. as well. Yeah, you still get that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What do you do? Oh, I don't know. She does something. She plays with ponies. Um, the thing is, you actually do still play with ponies. I play with people's brains that play with ponies, but you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so this concept of doing what is and we talked about it yesterday with um with katie as well because she yeah. left her corporate career to do what she loves what would you say about this idea of when you know something's not right and you need to assess your values and you just need to think am i going to carry on with this or am i going to make a change what would what would you say about that i think that um it's really, it's really interesting exercise if you to reassess your values as well, because I think having, you know, you and I have done quite a lot of work on this anyway, but I reassess mine all the time because at different points, some are more important than others. Um, one of my values I'll share with you because it's, people are going to go, oh, is that a value? And it's a, it's a huge one actually for me. Well, my values is play. And there was no, actually it's, it's something we all need. And play to me means joy, fun. I've got quite a dry sense of humour. I, I like having fun. And actually, we, we often lose that. So for me, it's a really important reset to go, right, where have I got no joy? Where am I not playing? Um, because actually, that energetically lifts and changes how you look at so many other things as well. Um, I would say at the moment, it's it's really challenging times and I listened yesterday and this this will tie into um, a podcast by Brené Brown and she was talking about how we as a human race are going through basically a grieving process at the same time and I know you've spoken about this and about um, and we are all doing that we are all actually grieving the loss of what was normal what and whatever that means to you but the other thing she talked about which was a really interesting concept for me was comparative suffering so this idea that just because you are it is not as bad as it is for someone else that it is not okay for you to be struggling and i think that's nonsense and we do that in life all the time we when someone says to me you know if i might have a moan or i need i need to have a bit of a rant about something and someone says to me oh, well, it could be worse. I am going to say to them, I get that, that doesn't help me. All I need from you is just to let me have a little rant. Don't need you to fix me, just need to have a rant. But comparing it to someone else. So I would actually say at the moment, this is where compassion comes in and this is where values come in. Don't sit there and look at yourself and think, oh, it's not as bad as X, Y, Z. Sit there and look at yourself and go, actually, what matters to me right now? What are my values? A great question I would also say to, and it's a question I use all the time to myself, is what is needed? 
So, and that and that's in life. Okay, what is needed? If you're if you're thinking about leaving your corporate life, well, what is needed as a business right now? In terms of what what would, where is the gap? I guess. Um, as a friend, what's what are my friends? What's needed in my friends right now? What do my family need right now? What does my community? So I'm thinking about my flying changes. You know, the rest of us on our team. I'm thinking, well, what do we all need now? So. I think it's a really, really good opportunity to sit back and look. I'd also say take some time to do that. Part of what we're talking about the grief cycle is that initial kind of denial, anger, whatever. I would actually, I think that there is a place to just sit back and have a think. Not forever, but just to kind of go, okay, because it would be easy to make a snap decision now. Um, so I would say, I, I would yeah I would balance it with think about your values don't make a snap decision look at what is needed and what you could offer um and I'd also say crikey if there is a time to, to change it's right now <laughs> fab thank you so much it's so true and it's lovely you know the reason I ask these things to you guys is because it's not just coming from me like it's <laughs> it, it's relevant to so many people and so many of you have been on such similar journeys and things and that's probably why you were drawn to fly and change coaching because you get drawn to the people that share similar values to you don't you, you get drawn to the people that are showing the behaviors that you want to be around and you get drawn to that community don't you so this is why it's so lovely that we're building this tribe here in the dream it do it love it lounge you know this is where the tribe we all sit anyone is welcome to join in at the moment hear this stuff get whatever they need from us all um and yeah just building this community so that we can keep it going forwards as well because we need it right now but let's not forget in the future that we'll need it too um yeah. just maybe in a different way just maybe not quite quite as as in you know like right now kind of need you know so one of the things I wanted to ask you about, um, because we've spent a little bit of time on it ourselves, was um, two things. One is um, your goals, because I know you've got some great insight onto how you've been flexible with those goals um, and how we all have to be super flexible with them right now. And also this um, thing that we that keeps popping up with lots of people. Um, it's popped up in all of the Q&As at some point, I think, and, and it's something that all of us will notice at some point in our lives, which is something called imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, so those kind, they kind of go together, those two, don't they? So just tell us a little bit about that, um, Emma, from your perspective. So when I joined the Flying Changes team, one of the things um, I did at the start was I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to set some goals. So and I printed them off to show Jenny before the call and I, I'm visual. So here they are, very pretty. I will let you know what what's up. But I I'd actually, before the call, I was saying to Jenny, it's really interesting because I have a mix on there of things that are very physical goals, which are competition based, which are now I won't be able to achieve. So one for me for this year was to ride in the parade class at Royal Windsor Horse Show, which now uh, Royal Windsor has been cancelled, so that isn't going to happen. Um, and there are a couple of other which are competition based goals that were some of them are more stretched than others, but some of them, you know, those events are now cancelled, so I won't be able to achieve them. The really interesting thing is <laughs> I'm going to read you some of my other goals. What some of the others are only compete if it's fun. I'm an amateur rider. I just, you know what, if I'm going in there and I'm, I'm 
nervous and I'm hating it and I'm not enjoying it, why would I do it? So I love that that goal can still say that. Um, one, another one was enjoy being a Flying Changes Ambassador, which I'm loving. And again, that's not determined by, um, by the situation that we're now in. Uh, another one was stop comparing myself to others. Uh, and one of the last one I'm going to just mention, which kind of links into the imposter syndrome, and it's in it's got lots of big zags around it, so it's an important one, is enjoy Sparky every day. So I, what I didn't mention at the beginning was, um, so Sparky is, he'll be 15 in June. So the horses that I have had, my two horses I've had before, Hermie, my Clyde, Clyde mare, and Archie, my Lusitano, we had as young horses. And the training and competing and everything, I had lifetime journey because I only have a horse that will stay with me for life. That's, that's the deal. Um, and both of them, <clears throat> I trained and competed from, from scratch. So when we had the opportunity to have Sparky, it was, I still do the kind of, I literally can't believe he's mine, I have to touch him a lot. My God, you're so handsome. Um, but, oh my goodness, the imposter syndrome with him. Oh, so he's reasonably well known within the Spanish world. Um, his old mom, Lynn, is the most fantastic rider. She has the most beautiful partnership with him. And if you, she's really well known for doing her dressage to music with him. So they did Avatar, they've done Warhorse, they've done all kinds of incredible dressage music. She's competed internationally with them at Working Equitation and they just have this, they have this real partnership. So me kind of taking on Sparky and being, and the way I framed it in my head is I'm, I'm the next part of his journey and he's the next part of mine. But it's been quite difficult actually to, and that's why I set the goals at the beginning of this year, is when I first went out and competed him and did well, there was a very much a sense of, well, of course you have done it, Sparky. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. And I will say not from the people that really matter to me. So I am incredibly lucky that Lynn and her partner, Joe, are, um, we're in contact daily. They are a huge part of my support team. We are called Team Sparky. Um, and she relentlessly encourages me, helps me, supports me. And I just, I don't think I'll be able to do it without that really. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting how people's own stuff shows up. So we did a few things and he did quite well. I was like, okay. And then I got, well, of course it's gonna win. And I thought, okay, this is, I'm not feeling great about this. I'm actually not enjoying this now. And there is a pressure now for me to do well. Whereas bizarrely, I never really had that before. Um, only in, in my own internal pressure. Um, so that was really interesting. And, and I noticed I did things. So I didn't actually put up for about six months anything about how Sparky and I had done. And I realized that was because actually, I never felt like I was good enough for him. And that's quite a difficult thing when you, <laughs> you're like, I want to enjoy this horse every day, but I also don't feel like I'm good enough. So part of kind of my journey and how that links back to the goals and being part of the team this year has been to go, right, I'm, I'm going to embrace this now. So that's why um, 
Lynn very kindly, Lynn and Joe very kindly, let me take over Sparky's Facebook page, the Novata Selvatella Puri Stallion. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of really proud to be part of his journey moving forwards. Um, I did something at the end of last year, which really helped me with the imposter syndrome. So I love showing, I really enjoy showing on parade class and you, you've heard, the, you can see why I love it. So I don't really love dressage. I love training, don't get me wrong, absolutely true. I don't really love the competing of it. And I think, I don't mind dressage to music, but I don't know. I just can't bring that thing that I can bring in a show ring to a dressage test. And people say, oh, but Sparky's so good and you should do it. And I'm like, so I set myself a little goal and I didn't tell anyone what the goal was at the end of last year. It was to step up two levels, go out and do, go out and do an advanced medium on him. That's really out of my comfort zone, by the way. So I kind of snuck away, went and did it, got on, all right, I got, I think, uh, what did I get, 63.8, I think. And I was like, result, I didn't come last, it was over 60, awesome. And I thought there's the opportunity to do two more tests, the same test, twice more. So I did that and I got 65.5 and I got 68.3. But more importantly, what I did was I built up it and then I stopped and people said, oh, amazing. When are you when are you going to do your next test? I was like, no, you don't get it. I've done it. Done. Because <laughs> it's not about that. For me, it's about can I go out and, and in partnership with him, produce something which to me feels like a stretch and a credible performance. Um, so, yeah, my, one of my aims for this year was to do an advanced medium dressage to music because actually I, I think maybe I just like the showing off of showing. Probably that's what it is. Um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll aim to do the music, but so it's how do I embrace the imposter syndrome within what I do, how to acknowledge it when it, when it shows up. Um, and I think when I say to people, actually, this is how I'm feeling, they're kind of like, oh gosh, no, we, we weren't judging you. And I'm like, okay. And then you notice the people who are, and you go, are these people who, does their opinion matter? And if they're saying that, do I, do you know what, it, it goes back to the values thing, right? Are these people my tribe? Probably not. So yeah, it, learning to deal with that imposter syndrome has been really new for me, <laughs> really new. Um, I guess we all get it in all different parts of our lives, but this is definitely where it's shown up for me, hence why, you know, um, taking over Sparky's praise and just having a presence as a, uh, a rider, I guess, a partnership feels a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm battling my way through it. So yes, yeah, so I guess that's how I've, I've realigned the goals and then kind of tr tried to embrace imposter syndrome as well. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing that, Emma. Um, there have been so many fantastic amazing topics that we've covered today in fact so much so we've like gone over time but that's all good like <laughs> there was just so much to share there's so many different things and you've got such great insight into stuff as well that um I've certainly found it absolutely fascinating thank you so much and I know that the guys Lynn has just commented go team Sparky as well for you thanks Lynn um so yeah it is so important to have that community around you that tribe that people holding you up and the phrase that i love is um all ships rise on a rising tide so like let's all hold each other up let's it, it doesn't matter we don't need to be competing with each other even if we technically are competing against each other you know i always say have fun good luck 
to the person who's about to go in after me and the amount of times they look a little bit shocked and it's like oh come on you know like okay I want to do well but I want to do well because I've just done the best test I could ever do with my horse or you know I want to have just put everything I've been learning into practice that's the real sense of pride not coming third out of three and sticking it on Facebook you know like so that's exactly it, isn't it? It's about having your tribe around you. And, and here at Flying Change Coaching, you know, you can be part of our tribe. Like, absolutely. We, we, we just come and join in with us. Like, ask us questions, find out stuff. You know, please do get in touch with Emma if you've got any questions for her. You'll probably be overrun now. Um, and we will signpost you, direct you, and do, do what we can. So keep following us. Keep watching what, you know, the Q&As. There's loads and loads of them going on at the moment. They're all going to go out on podcasts. If you're listening into the podcast right now, thank you. Look at how you can follow us, how you can join us. Um, there are some questions about equine assisted learning on there as well, but I would say we're going to answer those um, in the comments afterwards as well, because then it will give people some links and things to do. So any final thoughts, Emma, before we say our final goodbyes? My God, I can talk so much. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. Um, <laughs> yeah, my, my thoughts are maybe I should be snappier with responses. Um, no, it's genuinely, it's a huge part, a huge thing for me to be a part of the team with you, Jenny, and everybody else. And I think it keeps showing up, keep being vulnerable, keep being real, keep being authentic. And actually, you know, we have more that joins us than doesn't. Um, so keep keep doing that. Thank you so much, Emma. Um, we will finish it for today. And yeah, keep in touch, guys. See you soon. Bye. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google and on Podbean. Hack Your Mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast. So please do subscribe, follow us. And we look forward to you listening into our next one. Bye, everyone. Who got this? You got this? You know you got this.